Well, good morning. It's awesome to be with you guys. Uh, for about the last nine years, I've worked with new churches. So people who have a vision to launch a new church. Uh, and honestly, Trace has been a joy, an honor to see, to work alongside of. Well, what you might not know uh, is that I played ping pong with Aaron many years before Trace was started. More importantly, we had a conversation about this idea. We were sitting down over coffee uh, at this local cafe, and he said, so let me just throw out this idea. What if there were a church that, that brought the tension of truth and grace together, and we just sort of presented, this is the tension we need to live in. And, and immediately love the idea, and uh, said we need more churches like that. I mean, that is a hard balance, right? A tension that we get to live in uh, and that we have to live in, I think, as followers of Jesus. It isn't going to go away anytime soon. And uh, so we began to talk about that idea. Little did I know that I would be calling him at some point and saying, hey, ha have you considered Colorado Springs? Just, just think about it. I think Colorado Springs needs a church like that. Uh, and then to see what God has done over the years through you guys, to see how God is changing lives, it is a great joy and honor. And let me just say, you guys have an amazing team here at Trace, those who serve, those who lead, those who teach, those on staff, those who lead worship. So it's been a great honor to, to be with you guys. And, and today is one of those Trace Tension Sermons. This is a series of tension that we are between truth and grace saying, like, which one? And let me give you a couple of these tensions that, that I regularly see. We, we might say, okay, so law or love, which one is it? So, so grace or truth, which one is it? And of course, the answer is yes. And so today, we seek to live in that tension. Continuing on in this series, being a church, that you guys are saying we, we have to live in this tension. It doesn't just magically or naturally go away. Let me give you the one thing this morning. This is kind of that thread that we're going to be looking at this morning. The one thing, the quality of your life depends on how you use your freedom. The quality of life that you have now and in your future is going to depend on how you use, hear the word spend, your freedom. Now let me explain just a little bit. I think we live in a freedom-confused culture. We don't know what freedom is. Sometimes we think freedom is zero limits. Do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. So when I say the word freedom, what comes to mind for you? Uh, raise your hand if for you it involves a beach. A warm beach this time of year with a cold beverage, okay. Freedom. Um, raise your hand if it involves an island where nobody's going to bother you. So introverts, now it's for all your turn, okay. No one's going to bother you, right? Nobody's going to get in the way of your plans. You just get to sit maybe with a book, maybe to read. Some of you, it was moving here to Colorado. You left something maybe in the gray Midwest to move here so you could get snow in April, right? And this to you is freedom. You've made it. For some of you, this is working a job at home where nobody tells you what to do and you get to lead out as, as an entrepreneur, and if you're an entrepreneur, you know that trades one kind of freedom for another kind, maybe one kind of chain for another kind. Uh, and, and maybe your idea of freedom is not having to answer to anybody, no accountability. And obviously those views of freedom are not full. They're not complete. They're incomplete. And we think about freedom, and by the way, I'm not going to have William Wallace up here on stage. I'm not going to show some Braveheart clip. But I know you're thinking about it, especially dudes. You're thinking about a blue-faced guy yelling freedom. We live in a freedom-confused culture. It's different than we imagine. And Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, sends this letter, this message, this reminder to both the Galatians and to us. This is a really important look into freedom. 
my goal, my hope this morning is that we can see a new look at freedom, a new way to see this word that I think has been gravely understood in our culture, especially today. We are freedom confused. I hope God grounds us in this and and reshapes our view of how we actually spend our freedom. So Aaron gave this great context to this new covenant and this message that's being sent in the context, unfortunately, of confusion, of people trading their old chains back in for new chains and not living in the freedom of Jesus. It's a continuation in many ways of that same thread in this whole letter that Paul has to call to whoop up on them a little bit, right? They've lost some things. They've forgotten some things in the meantime. And, uh, and sometimes I think it's helpful to read a paraphrase. So I want to read out of the message paraphrase of this first verse to kind of crack open our time together, this idea of freedom. Galatians 5.1 in the message paraphrase, Christ has set us free to live a free life. You may say that's really obvious, but Christ has set us free to live a free life, not to live a life where we take on more chains. Many times I see that in freedom, we actually put our chains back on. Now, what is it about human nature that takes freedom and chooses bondage. Think about Israel. Israel would say, ah, it was better back there in Egypt. Man, I I feel like life was at least predictable there, at least safe there, at least we had things to eat. Maybe you think God has delivered you from crazy things in your life, but man, parts of that were fun. Parts of that were good, weren't they? If I could just go back there. Maybe you've taken a leap to some kind of new job or new role or new career, and you're saying, man, I wish for predictability. At least I had safety back there. And I want to say that I think we need to trade some of our old questions for new ones. Many times you might, you know, see somebody at the water cooler at work or at the coffee shop or, you know, wherever you see people on a regular basis and they say, how are you doing? It's a complicated question, right? How are you doing? I don't know. What part of life are you talking about? What's new with you? What have you been up to? What's going on in your life? But I want to ask you a different question this morning, a much harder question than that. Are you free? Are you free? It's a way more important question than what you've been doing, what's new, what's going on in your life. This is interesting. When we think about freedom, I read this this stat that blew me away. recent study, it says 76% of inmates who exit prison will be back within five years. 76%. Three out of four will exit, come back into society, and be back within those same prison walls within five years. But think about this. How many lotto winners will spend all their money and go in debt? How many of our kids, the second day of summer, will say, Mom or Dad, I'm what? Bored. What? Are you kidding me? You couldn't wait to get out. And I'm looking at my son over here, right? You couldn't wait to get out. You were so excited. You said school was stupid, and now you can't wait for school to start again. Like, that's just this tendency, for whatever reason, we have to take our freedom and put chains back on through wishing now to have what we had. What is it in human nature that does that? We're going to explore that today. What's helpful to know, this is not a modern problem, that Paul to the Galatians confronts this idea. He writes, he reminds them, don't get sucked back into bondage. So here we go, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ may be of no value to you at all. 
Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. All right, so I got two big questions from this part of Scripture. Number one, a little more personal. Why do I always get the circumcision passage? I mean, it's crazy. It doesn't matter where I'm at, what church I'm teaching for, I always get the circumcision passage. Probably more important than that question, why is it such a big deal? Why is, why is one little thing in Scripture such a big deal? Now, let's be honest, in our culture today, this is not regular talk. If you talk about this around golf, I don't want to play golf with you. But it was a big deal in their culture, right? It was a cultural issue that we don't sense today. Now you're saying, well, well, why was this such a big deal? People were coming to know Jesus who were non-Jews or Gentiles, and they were saying, this has been part of the Jewish way of life. This marks that you are a Jewish male, so do I have to live into that? And many of them were saying, well, they were feeling the pressure of that, and so we're living into that. We're talking more about the issues of the day than Jesus behind the issue. This is not our cultural issue today. However, we have different cultural issues that I'll talk about in a few minutes. Debates arose, there were issues, there were factions, there were silos, there were discussions and conversations, all of them distracting them from the main thing that was Jesus. Verse four, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision have any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We don't have any cultural disagreements today, do we? I mean, we can just move on to the next passage. Now, we have lots of cultural issues today. Disagreements, spaces where we land on different sides of an issue. And I'm going to bring up two issues. Now, I want to be personal with you guys, and I want to say that this isn't like you know, Trace's view on, on these two issues, but it's very important that I sense tension, right? We're always going to feel that tension, and yet we need to talk about certain things, things that maybe get discussed more than others. Number one, alcohol. For some people in this room, you have so much baggage, you have so many things from your past on that, you've seen such destruction around alcohol that you don't feel freedom to drink at all, even a little bit. Now, a lot of my friends have come up on this perspective. Everything from saving money. They're in the recovery process. Um, they have addiction in their family heritage. Fears of numbing themselves. They just don't feel right about it or they just don't like the taste of the stuff, right? And see no reason to push into that. Many people have landed on that side of the issue. Now, my wife and I, we don't have any you know, baggage in our family from this and we've chosen in moderation to drink, right? In, in appropriate amounts. We feel like God has given us that freedom. But my friends have walked through the discernment process and landed on a different side of that issue, right? And they've seen that that's hard work. They've got to discern that. By the way, I've had friends that have landed on one side of the issue for a while and then sort of come to that out of discernment and, and out of growth. And we have to dig into these things, right, that matter, these gray areas in life. But here's the reality. It would not be wise or loving for me to say to somebody, that's dumb that you would land on that side of the issue. Don't you know God gives you freedom to drink? They've got to discern and they've got to decide. Here's the reality. I don't think I'm better off or worse off because of the decision I've made on that. Now, I have to be careful, right? Be careful with your freedom, of course. But I need to care more about the relationship 
than a beverage once in a while. That is love. That is what I believe this scripture is, is saying to us. That's what matters here. Let me give you a different issue. I've landed on a different side of gambling. I hate gambling. My grandfather, uh, toward the end of his life, he wrestled with a gambling addiction. He gambled away literally hundreds of thousands of dollars through gambling. Unfortunately, his best friends in his last years of life were those at the gambling boat that he would go and see that were excited to take his money. And uh, it was very, very sad. It reaped a lot of destruction and, and left him nearly penniless um, by the time that he passed away. It was very hurtful to us in our family. Now, um, I don't gamble. Uh, maybe five bucks for the NCAA March Madness Tournament, which my team that I betted on with my $5 did not win. However, the Virginia Cavaliers won. Thank you, Lord. So I'm celebrating that. Um, but there are people who have chosen within the right space to gamble a little bit. Some people, maybe you guys, have been to Vegas or you've chosen to go to Cripple Creek once in a while or, or there's space in your life for that and it hasn't destroyed you, right? You haven't gambled away hundreds of thousands of dollars and broken relationships in your life and it's something you've chosen in the right space to be able to do that. You're not like betting at your kids' YMCA soccer games and stuff, you know, like some secret ring of the parents going on. Um, and so... What's interesting is even in that, I see you have the freedom, if you desire, to be able to go to do that. I'm not judgmental on that. I just don't want to walk in a casino. I get a really weird feeling. That's not something that, that I'm going to do with my time or my money. So you making fun of me for not going to Vegas or stepping into a casino would be like me making fun of you for not having a Pinot Noir. That's not what family does. This is the family of faith, the family of God. We need discernment. Now, I need to raise you up and say, that's amazing. I want to celebrate your recovery journey. I want to celebrate that that's something that you've made uh, a decision in Christ. I, I have a decision to make when people come to my table. Is this something that they can't see anything else beyond a glass of wine when they're at the table? You see what I'm getting at, guys? Is we need to value the relationship and love over where we've landed on our position. Because many of us will land in different positions on different topics. So keep this in the front of your mind, 5-6. Again, to repeat this verse, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is what? Faith, expressing itself through love. 5-6 in the message paraphrase. This is helpful. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. Guys, the interior matters more than the exterior. And I'm not just talking about clothes people wear. I'm not just talking about how we might judge people from their appearance on the outside. I'm talking about what truly matters to us. Do I care more that my heart loves God and loves other people or that I look good and religious? It's a hard question for us today. Let me ask you a crass question. What counts to Jesus? You're going, oh man, I, I, don't know, I don't know that we can say it that way. Well, what really matters? I mean, we get to the end of our life. We all think about it at some level. What, what are people going to say about me? What that I invested in truly mattered? What are they going to say about me at my funeral? It's not going to be, man, that dude followed the rules. Like, so good at following the rules, right? It's how we love. It's how what God gives to us, we share with other people. How do we bless? How do we love? How do we use what God has given us to bless other people? 
How did we love people in the name of Jesus? And Jesus is saying through Paul to the Galatians, to us today, there's a new standard. There's a new law in town and its name is love. You feel the tension again here? We're not saying that the law doesn't matter. We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which by the way, never throw a baby out with bathwater. Just drain the thing, right? I don't know. It's just, it's a dumb analogy today. Like why would I just chuck the water, take the baby out first, drain it, okay? But there's a tension we live in that tension of, oh, like, what's important? It's not saying that the law doesn't matter. They ask Jesus, wait, so how do we live, live out this law? What matters? What's important? Love God, love others, right? Really simple, really hard to do. Love God, love others. That through us, God wants to show his love to other people. So let me ask you a hard question. Are you willing to give up a little bit of your freedom to love others? Are you willing to give up a little bit of your freedom to love others? Many days, I'm not. Like the person that texts me, hey man, can you take me to DIA tomorrow morning for a 5.30 flight? Oh, anything but that. Can I take you to coffee next week? Could I pay for you to get there yourself, you know? Like how do we take just a little bit of our freedom and give that away to other people? I love what Bob, what Bob Goff says in uh, his book, Love Does. He says, I used to want to fix people. Now I just want to be with them. I used to want to fix people. Now I just want to be with them. And let me just say, guys, I am a recovering people fixer. Some of you guys are people pleasers. I'm more in the people fixing business. And God is dealing with me on that. God has reminded me, he's the healer, not me. We are not called to fix people, but to serve people. Let me tell you, that will change your perspective. Because here's the reality. Many times serving people and fixing them looks similar in our actions, but completely different in our heart. Because why I want to fix somebody is for me. There's something in their life I go, oh, like I'm tired of seeing them make destructive decisions. I don't want to see them go down that path. That's so terrible to watch. I don't want them to destroy themselves, but it's often for me. When I love them, I say, God, how can I serve them? So here's a question for you. Are you trying to fix those around you or are you seeking to serve them? Are you trying to fix or are you trying to serve? It'll come out in a completely different heart. And I think about the Pharisees and, and Jesus, even in the Old Testament, was foreshadowing toward the Pharisees. Isaiah 29, 13 says this. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The Pharisees understood the right what, but terribly confused the why and terribly confused the who. Many times we have the right what, but we have mistaken our why. Many times we've been good rule followers, me included. We've been following rules at the expense of other people, even when it hurts other people, instead of loving them. What matters is faith expressing itself through love. So Jesus had this habit of ticking off the Pharisees. And we've got to ask why. why. Why did he do that? He was actually healing people on the Sabbath. They were saying, yeah, that's part of your job description. And so you shouldn't be doing that. And by the way, they created rules and then they called these hedges. They were hedging the law. So then they created more rules. So honor the Sabbath. We know that's in the Mosaic law. That's one of the 10 commandments. So we're going to add hundreds even thousands of little rules thrown in the side, sort of cultural rules on top of that. We do the same today. Here's the thing, but we've added other things 
in the process. So here's the question. Why did Jesus go around healing on the Sabbath, even though culturally they thought that was wrong? Norma Wearsba asked the question, was it simply to irritate the religious leaders of the day? A better explanation is to see the miracles as specific people. Creation in miniature, being set right to be what God intends. Jesus was about shalom. Jesus wasn't about rule following, although many times he followed the rules well and the customs and the cultures of the day. He was about love. He was about people. Whenever we mistake our what and our why, there are always issues, right? That's when religion that we hate so much can be something that actually plows people down, that actually we do terrible things in the name of Jesus instead of loving in the name of Jesus because we mix up the why and the what. Our lips and, our, and, and what is outside, the externals may look right and yet our hearts are far from God in those moments. God didn't put us here to obey the rules. He put us here to receive and show his love to the world. Guys, when we only see rules, we will never see people. When we only see rules, we will never see people. And when we only see mistakes, we'll never see souls. When you see rules, there's going to be mistakes. If that is the chief, the only, the best, the forward, you're only going to see what we or they don't add up to. I'm so grateful that God sees us. Have you ever been seen in a room that was busy where somebody looked back and saw you and said, hey, it doesn't look like you're doing so well. Are you okay? They see you. They see that you're not okay. They pull you aside. We all want to be seen, to be known, to be loved. And just as there's a new covenant last week, there's a new freedom, and the freedom involves love. That The new standard, Neil Cole He says, we are educated beyond our obedience. Another way to say that is that we know too much and do too little. We might say, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. It's about love. But these other things. But these other things. No, he's saying the new law is here. And and I don't know about you, but I often get distracted and preoccupied with the what. And I forget the who, right? The people that God wants me to bless. I forget why, like why God has put us in people's lives, why God has put people in my life to bless, to affirm, to encourage. A friend of mine early morning this week sent me a text. Now, anybody ever had a discouraging week? <laughs> anybody ever been a little down? Right? I had one of those this week. Right? I think pastors are allowed to have those too. Just discouraged. And uh, out of nowhere, he just sent me a text and just reminded me of God's calling on my life, reminded me of what he saw in me, and just encouraged me. He spent a little bit of his freedom to encourage me. And just say, he didn't have to do that. It probably took him 17 seconds. But just to encourage, what does that look like for you? And many times, it's hard to watch people turning to lesser things, right? It's hard to see people struggling, and I hate that. But do we care about the who they are? Do we care about the why, or do we just care about the what? Because here's the reality, guys. Rules are predictable. Relationship is not. Relationship is not. Many times, it's so easy to be safe and predictable and right than it is to push into an area to say, I don't know the next step, right? Like marriage doesn't come with a manual of 17 steps. And if it did, uh, I don't know if I'd follow all those, right? 17 ways to solve every issue that you've got. No, we need discernment, right? Because love takes more than just knowing things, but actually doing them, practicing them, being in relationship. 
And guys, let me bring this back to freedom. I call this the irony of freedom, is that freedom with no limits is not freedom at all. Freedom with no boundaries is not freedom at all. If we in here as parents were to think about our kids and just sort of give them a day to do whatever they want, what's going to happen? Mass chaos or nothing, right? Those are sort of the two options in that. And so when we think about the idea of freedom is many times like, oh yeah, full freedom, just gonna let them do whatever they want. We know that that's not true freedom. That's not true love. And God gives us these boundaries and this freedom, but we gotta work through it, right? There's so many different gray areas. But I wanna ask you a question. Below freedom, below the iceberg, the part we don't see is how are you using your freedom? Because that, that one thing today of, of how you use your freedom is going to determine the quality of your life. The quality of our lives is determined by how we use our freedom. And let me just say this, guys. The freest people I know use their freedom to serve, to bless. The most chained people I know have taken chains and they've traded it for more chains that looks like entitlement self-indulgence. I could do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. That ain't freedom. Just wait to feel those chains, like Aaron was talking about last week, trading chains for other chains. Now, as I was growing up, my, my teen years were tough, and I was trying to be two different people. I was trying to be one person around uh, you know, certain people and look good, and then another person over here and sort of be more fun and rebellious. Um, there's two problems with that. Number one, it doesn't work. It turns out people talk and realize he's not that guy, and actually both sides just see you as a phony. The more important issue in that is that we feel a tension that divides us and rips us apart inside. Some of you walk in this morning trying to be two different people, and it's ripping you apart. It's not working. God brings us back to unity and away from division, even in ourselves, that turmoil you're living inside. So back to freedom. Here we go. Chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law. Right? He's saying there's division. There's two things fighting in you. Anyone in here ever been on a diet? No, of course not, because they call it a lifestyle change. All right? Ever experienced a lifestyle change in here? It's not a diet. It's just changing how you eat and live and exercise. Okay? So um, when you think about like freedom within eating, like here's what you think about for a second. I mean, if, if we're just honest, right? This beautiful arrangement, or maybe this right here. Um, they brought Twinkies back, right? Took them away, brought them back. So this is like, oh, freedom. Um, how long is that going to feel free for you? Like 45 minutes later, heads up, right? Because again, if I left my kids all day and any of these were in the house, they would find them somehow and eat them on the couch and do nothing else other than to watch TV. Um, but this is probably what we should be eating. It's kale. I know. It's a four-letter word. Um, there's all kinds of bad news out there about kale online. I'm just saying, like, don't go Googling it. Um, there's kind of some nasty things people are saying about kale um, these days. Uh, you choose now what freedom's going to look like tomorrow, right? You choose now what freedom looks like tomorrow. It's a hard choice. It's delayed gratification. You get everything you want, all of it right now, and heads up, because you are about to live 
in chains. The spirit and the law are at war, verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, two, two quick thoughts on that. Number one, does anyone want to be around someone that is constantly like that? No, because I don't. You think about all those things are drawing you inward, right? It looks like freedom for a second, and, and it is ugliness, right? It produces death in us. And it's not saying any of those sins is beyond God's reach, but it's saying the way of life of giving ourselves full freedom with no limits actually blocks what God wants to do in us. It blocks living in the Spirit. It blocks living in the Spirit. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Guys, here's the alternative. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Let me translate a different way. Who doesn't want these things in people around you? Who doesn't want to cultivate these things in ourselves, right? Like we don't want to go to the funeral of the person saying, yeah, these were what they lived out. This was the fruit, the rotten fruit of their life. These are the fruits of us living in the spirit, right? Saying, God, would you nourish us? Would you cultivate this internal life so that I can give it this way? Would I care more about what's on the inside, about what's here and here than I would about what's out there? Because as long as we care more about the opinions of us coming from the outside than God's opinion of us, our creator who gave his son for us, we will be anxious, we will be stressed, and we will be performing like Aaron talked about last week. Striving to earn God's love. You can't earn God's love. You already got it. When he created you, when he sent his son Jesus for you, we've already got love. And so the striving to get it is pointless we already need to receive it and say, God, as you've loved me, now I get the opportunity to pour it out. God, would you cultivate the interior life in me, these fruits of the Spirit, not the fruits of the flesh. And let me add, by the way, the greatest apologetic I believe we can live in a skeptical age is not to convince people that the truths of the Bible are true. No, I promise you, and, and I'll, I'll prove these things. Not to say that would never work, but I believe the greatest apologetic is living your life in the spirit and people going, I don't understand that. That's countercultural. To live those things out, guys, people are going to notice. Verse 24 of Galatians 5, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Now literally, if there were a cross right here and you had to bring up cards of the worst things you've thought, done, said, to other people around you that you would put them here and say, they're nailed to the cross. They're, they're gone. They've been forgiven if we've offered them up to God, crucified. Verse 25, since we are living in the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives, right? Friendship, business, neighborhood, fun, pleasure. Verse 26, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Guys, we all carry different baggage, we all carry different issues. We all have different pasts and different stories. And yet, we have the same tendency to the flesh. 
to get for freedom what is mine instead of to invest it back in loving other people. Again, the freest people I know serve well. And the most enchained people I know take it all and get it for themselves. A friend of mine, Daniel Fusco, he says the art of living well is loving well. Isn't that true? The people who live well are the ones who are loving well. Guys, rules are predictable and relationships are not. Rules are predictable and sometimes I settle for safe and predictable and what looks right from the outside versus what I actually know and have experienced the love of God. Guys, I love how Trace helps families win. I see it on the shirts here. I see the phrases here. I love that. And it's a good reminder, if we are going to win in relationship, quote unquote, we are going to need to take God there and say, God, would you cultivate my interior life? Because it comes out around our families, am I right? And it can get ugly. And we can have to apologize and we can have to confess to God. But, but I want to bring you back to this question. How are you using your freedom? How are you spending or investing your freedom that God has given you? Because it will determine the quality of your life. I was encouraged this week by a friend who spent 17 seconds to think of me and to encourage me and to spend a little bit of his early morning freedom to change my whole day and remind me God has a plan. He, he sees me. He, he knows me. Not only did he create me, but he's using me. And I want to remind you of this, guys. Heading towards summer is perhaps the greatest season to be able to get outside and, and love people. We, we love our neighbors in some very, very simple ways. Don't do the same things that, that we've done, but we call it neighboring season again. My neighbors sort of emerge this time of year. It's like, hey, how was the winter? You know, good to see you again. And you'll have opportunities this summer to be in relationship with neighbors. They want to be around your table. They want to talk to you. Their kids want to play with your kids. They want to be together. Maybe we could take the first step in that trace values neighboring well, loving our neighbors. It looks really, really simple. For eight years now, we've been out on the curb across from the school and across from our house serving mediocre coffee to amazing people. Really, really simple, right? That's what we do. But, but what does it look like if you could consistently love your neighbors, if you could consistently not just say, I know this, that we're supposed to do this, but we get to live this out. We get to be the people God has created us to be. Two great reminders this morning. Stop trying to earn God's love. There's a new law in town. You've already got God's love. But, but here's the great news. You get to spend it on other people. You get to reinvest it back into other people because how you spend your freedom will determine the quality of your life. May we be the freest people on the planet, the ones who are free to give away, not to take credit, but to give away. Free to say, yeah, I've screwed up because God is doing things through me. Free to cultivate an interior life that might not look good to everybody else and free to live out God's love to whoever is around. So let's be those people, all right? Let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. That not only did you create us, God, but you redeemed our sin through Jesus. And if there are people in here this morning that are just dying with anxiety and stress and division in their life, God, would you remind them of your love? Would you bring them to a place of unity within themselves? A place to stop stressing and stop striving, but to receive your love, to experience your freedom, and then in turn spend that freedom back on other people. And all of God's people said, amen.